Hello, and welcome to the Peace Alliance Hope Story Circle, and welcome to Peace On, your source for inspiring conversations and information from thought leaders across the spectrum on topics related to the strategies of building peace, fostering nonviolence, and creating a world that thrives, shifting our understanding toward empathy, compassion, and connection. My name is Terry Mason. I'm on the board of the Peace Alliance, and I'm joined to go facilitate today by Liz Graydon, who is our board chair, and Yelena Bobovich, who is our teaching peace in schools lead. And our special guest today is Todd Scholl. We're very excited that you're here today, Todd. You want to come off mute and say hello? Hi, everybody. Honored to be here. So glad. To have, so excited to have you share your story. But first, um, Liz, can you share the community agreements? Of course. So at the Peace Alliance, we hold the intention in our gathering to create a space that is welcome to all. Uh, for listening, learning, open conversation, and engagement. To that end, we ask that everyone be real, be engaged, and be curious. Be fully present to listen. Create space for learning. Honor all points of view. Acknowledge discomfort and allow room for healing. We will do our best to address microaggressions and marginalizing language. To that end, we ask that everyone present act with empathy, compassion, and a desire for connection. We really thank you for being here with us, participating in this way. And so if I can just get kind of a thumbs up of agreement with everybody, if anyone has questions, they can hear it. Okay, so thank you. And um, Yelena, if you would lead us in our meditation. Sure. Welcome, everyone. Uh, welcome to you all here and all of you that are listening on the podcast. Yeah, the invitation for today is to practice something that I actually guided some educators yesterday into a practice and they enjoyed it. So I want to offer it to you. Um, it is a practice using an acronym SLOW. So I will just guide you through every uh, letter of the slow. So um, with the, it's just a practice to kind of gently land into your body. So with that, I invite you to just find a posture that your body will appreciate in this moment. And as you land there, you might wanna Gently close your eyes if that feels comforting, comfortable, or gently lower your gaze. And in the first letter, the first letter in the word slow is S. And that is to just slowly soften jaw. If you need to unclench your jaw, just that's an invitation, softening your jaw and perhaps even placing your hands as you soften your jaw and your face and gently massaging face, jawline. And as you move up, Often we hold tension between our eyes. So maybe gently massaging the space between your eyes, your forehead, kind of unfurling that. Allowing, just allowing your face to soften. And 
as you soften your jaw, your space between your eyes, your face, move to the next letter and slow, which is L. That is to lower your shoulders. If you're noticing your shoulders are up, barriers, just allowing your shoulders to lower. Your shoulders, seeing any tension I have. Your neck. Allowing breath. Your eyes opening, just the next letter in the word slow O is opening your chest and your belly, your breath, breathing in, breathing out, opening to the aliveness that breath brings. As we move to the last letter in the word slow, which is W, I want you to, as we complete this practice, wiggle, wiggle your toes. Come back to the screen. Ready. Coming back to each other and getting ready to listen to the thought story. Thank you all for practicing. Come, Todd. You want me to start my story? No? Okay. All right. Well, uh, first of all, thank you for the invitation to share a story. And I appreciate everything you're doing and really um, have so much respect for the Peace Alliance and your mission. Um, I'm seeing so much polarization in our society and really feel like it's it's conversations and the peaceful exchange of ideas that, that really can help us move forward as a country and as a, as a world. So I, I appreciate what you're doing and um, I have a short story to share with you today, trying to connect all these pieces of my life and the life of somebody else that I really admire. Um, I am the grandson of an educator. He was Albert Scholl was born in Brooklyn, New York, and orphaned when he was young and um, uh, went on to become an educator. He went to Syracuse University um, and he had four sons. One of those is my dad. And three of the four went into um, education. And I'm not sure if the last name Scholl is so close to the word school that they thought that that's where they belonged. But, um, but my dad became a, a public school educator. And my mom was the first person in her family to go to college, and she became uh, a public school educator. So I'm the, the son of two public educators and was absolutely committed to not becoming a teacher when I was young. So there's no way I'm going to do that. Went off to school, got a degree in broadcast journalism, and came out and realized that I really wanted to go into teaching and really loved the idea of working with young people and helping them become the best versions of themselves. So I got certified to teach and started teaching in 1995. I spent two years teaching special education at an elementary school on a permit and then went on to 
develop a broadcast journalism program at a high school here in the Myrtle Beach, South Carolina area. I taught for over 15 years in the classroom, and then I went to work for the senior staff of a state organization that worked to recruit and retain educators for public schools in South Carolina. I spent about 10 years doing that um, and, and now serve as the lead learner for the Center for Educator Wellness and Learning, which was a center developed when I was a teaching fellow for the National Education Association. Um, they gave me a year to really kind of think through and develop something. And in 2022, we launched the center and it's the acronym is COOL, C-E-W-L. So I invite everybody to go check that out at uh, cool.us, that's C-E-W-L.us uh, to learn about what we're doing, which is to improve the inner and outer lives of educators here in South Carolina. Um, so digging into the story that I really want to share, I was uh, about in my 10th year of teaching around 2005, 2006, and I Googled, I Googled my name periodically just to see what I could find. And I, I found uh, out about this young woman and her name's Sophie Scholl. And I'm going to share my screen so you can see a picture of her for those of you who are uh, able to see the screen. And those of you who are not, she's a young woman who um, grew up in Nazi Germany. She was in her early 20s um, when this story really takes place. She had seen the horrors of the Nazi regime and Hitler, and she realized that she wasn't the only one who saw this. She knew that there were other people in the country who, who saw this but were afraid to speak out. And she and her brother and some friends formed an underground group called the White Rose Society. And they use typewriters. This is a on the screen, if you're watching, is a picture of her typewriter, just a simple typewriter. And she, they started typing up these anti-Nazi pamphlets and they would distribute them around Germany uh, anonymously, obviously, because it was illegal to speak out against the Nazis um, and everybody was afraid to do that. Um, so one day they were at the University of Munich and the students had gone into class and they left a stack of these anti-Nazi uh, pamphlets out where the students could get them when they came out of class. And a custodian at the university uh, caught her doing that and uh, brought her in and, and she was arrested. And this, I'm showing her mugshot. She was arrested. Uh, I, I don't know the exact age. I can't remember. I think it was 21, 22 years old. She was arrested for treason and she was tried for this and convicted and was sentenced to death. She was executed by guillotine. And before she died, she said this, and I'm going to read this quote directly from Sophie Scholl. She said, the real damage is done by the millions who want to survive. Those honest men who just want to be left in peace. Those who don't make, don't, I'm sorry, my, uh, give me just a moment. The, the, the chat box is in the way of my screen. Hold on. Uh, those who don't want their little lives disturbed by anything bigger than themselves, those with no sides and no causes, those who won't take measure of their own strength for fear of antagonizing their own weakness, those who don't like to make waves or enemies, those for whom freedom, honor, truth, and principles are only literature. Those who live small, mate small, die small. It's the reductionist approach to life. If you keep it small, you'll keep it under control. If you don't make any noise, the boogeyman won't find you, but 
it's all an illusion because they die too. Those people who roll up their spirits into tiny little balls so as to be safe. Safe from what? Life is always on the edge of death. Narrow streets lead to the same place as wide avenues. And a little candle burns itself out, just like a flaming torch does. I choose my own way to burn. And so when uh, four years after, I, four or five years after I discovered Sophie Scholl, um, I was blessed to become a father again. And this is my daughter, and her name is Sophie Scholl. And so this is Sophie and Sophie side by side. And I intentionally named her that because I knew one day she would Google her name. And when she Googled her name, I wanted her to see an example of somebody who was really tapped into her conscience, stood her ground, and had some values that um, she lived by and would refuse to sacrifice, who saw injustice in the world and wanted to do her part in bringing an end to it. An incredibly courageous person. Um, and that's the model I wanted for my daughter. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's why my daughter's named Sophie Scholl. And so I used to tell my journalism students this story. As soon as I found out about it, I started talking to my students. And my students, you know, <clears throat> young people, when you give them video cameras and you tell them they can make anything, you know, a lot of times they want to make funny, silly videos and dance videos and stuff. And all of that's great because it's really great for young people to be able to express their sense of humor and, and their joy for living. But I also challenged them with this story because I said, you have tools that are far more powerful than what Sophie Scholl had. You have video cameras, you have your cell phones, you have social media, you have the internet, you have YouTube, you have podcasting, you have all these tools that you can use to broadcast to the world your voice. And you have far more freedom than Sophie had. So what are you going to do with that freedom? And what are you going to do with the power that you have with these tools that you have? And so the students, some of the students started taking on that challenge and started creating really great content. We created a class, I'll give you an example of <clears throat> some of the content that we started creating. We, we started to, to, to examine what was going on in public schools and what students needed from public schools that they weren't currently getting in the test and punish paradigm that we find ourselves in. So my students created a, a short four minute video um, talking about what they needed from public education that they weren't getting. So we created that and we posted it to YouTube and we didn't really think much about it. And a couple of months later, I received a letter from Istanbul, Turkey. And this group was gonna have an international education conference and they said, we saw this video that you and your students created, and we would like to use that as the keynote to kick off our education conference. We wanted your permission to use it. So I went and I read the letter out loud to my students. And I said, this is what they want to do with the video that we created. Are you okay with them? They said, well, they were all excited. So we, um, we gave them permission and they, they used the video and then they sent us um, a, a video showing them sh showing this video at this international conference in Turkey. And so after that, it was really easy for me to talk to my students about, you know, look, we're not just creating content for you to give to me and for me to give you a grade. We're creating content. You have the opportunity to create content that can impact your community, your state, your country, your, your world. 
in a positive way. And I'm so thankful that they were able to get that message. And it all kind of goes back to the Sophie Scholl story, where we started to see that the technology we were using and the opportunity and the freedom that we had could be utilized to make the world a better place. And so I would just encourage educators who in, in the classroom now to, to use that story and to inspire students um, to, to, to use these powerful tools to, to make it positive change. Um, so this led to, you know, my career led to the development of the center that I mentioned earlier. And I am fortunate enough to have the opportunity to go and work with educators across South Carolina and sometimes other places in the, in the country. And when I talk to educators now, I share the story of Sophie Scholl because I want them also to be inspired by her story. Right now, there are a lot of damaging narratives around public education, around our profession, such as we're indoctrinating kids or we're grooming kids or teaching them to be Marxists. And a lot of these false narratives that give the public the wrong perception about our profession and about what's happening in public schools. My personal belief is that this is all an attempt to dismantle public education because it's one of the foundational things left helping our democracy survive. And there are people that would like to see that undone. But the, the point when I, when I go around and talk to educators is you have a voice too, and you have freedom. And I know it's scary because if when you speak up as an educator uh, about things that are um, difficult or controversial or, or, or political, there is the potential that you're going to get a lot of backlash, whether it's on social media or maybe your administration is going to tell you, hey, quiet down and let's not talk about that. So a lot of educators live in a culture of fear, afraid to speak up and to speak out against these false narratives and speak up for their profession. And this story, when I tell them about Sophie Scholl, I'm hoping that it will inspire them to sort of have summon the courage that they need to speak out. Because if they're not speaking out for their profession, unfortunately, what's left in the sort of conversation around public education is a lot of very destructive narratives that go unchallenged. And so that's, that's kind of part of what our center uh, does. Our center really was established to help improve teacher wellness and also help them help equip them with the tools that they need to be successful in the classroom. So we provide uh, live streams, like, kind of like this one. We do uh, podcasts. We do in-person professional learning. Uh, we hold uh, panel discussions. Uh, we're going to do a panel discussion in, in about a week on the book banning that's taking place here in South Carolina. Um, and so the goal is to improve the, the inside and outside lives of teachers. What's happened in over the past couple of years is a lot of well-intentioned people, including myself, will go and talk to teachers about mindfulness or self-care. But that falls on deaf ears when you don't couple that with a strong sense of advocating for uh, the things that are making them suffer, the things that are preventing them from uh, practicing self-care. So we really, what we really intentionally um, have coupled this advocacy for educators, improving their wages, improving their working conditions, really addressing the issues that are, that are causing them stress and causing them to leave the profession. We have a record number of teachers leaving the profession. 
so we're really trying to get to those root causes and help them, help support them um, externally. But then also not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. We're saying, look, self-care and mindfulness aren't the enemy. They're actually can, can be very, very supportive for you and your wellness. And we have to make sure that those things that honor your humanity are, are valued and honored in the system of public education. And so the system of public education right now is creating some very toxic conditions for our educators and students. And it all started with the sort of accountability movement that happened after the uh, nation at risk uh, report came out during the Reagan administration. And, um, and that accountability movement has grown and grown and morphed into no child left behind race to the top. And right now what's happening is the, the, the standardized tests that were meant to really help ensure that students everywhere were getting a quality education have become the tail that wags the dog. And as a result, teachers are being forced to paint by numbers rather than to engage in the artwork that is uh, teaching. And this has this has forced a lot of great people out of the profession, and it helps, and it also hurts our ability to recruit great people into the profession. And we what we've got to do is is we're not. I don't think most of us are against some form of accountability and and certainly assessing students but not letting allowing that those bubble and tests to drive everything that we do because when we do that it really does dehumanize the profession and so the mental and physical well-being of our educators and students becomes secondary to the needs of the test so we're trying to systematically change you know those conditions that educators and students find themselves in while also providing them resources to uh, improve their own well-being. So I want to, you know, shout out to Sophie Scholl for really transforming my career and for helping me think through the importance of using my voice because she's inspired me to use my voice to say, look, I've got power. I've got these tools. What am I going to do with them? And so she inspired me um, to utilize those things to make the world a better place in, in, in the ways that I can. And uh, and that's and I'm inspired by what we're doing today and what the work that you're doing, because it is another way of using your voice to make the world a better place. So that is my story. Thank you, Todd. Beautiful story and beautifully told. Thank you so much. So we're going to go into breakout rooms so that we can talk about things and then we'll come back together. Um, Liz, is there an inquiry that we want to promote to people? Yeah, Todd, I'm so thankful for your story. And as Terry said, the care with what you told it. And what makes this especially poignant for me is I'm coming to you from a film festival, <laughs> an international film festival. And it is all about storytelling. It is all about connecting uh, people who understand the medium of film to tell powerful stories. And um, and one of the things I just was sitting at breakfast with someone who said, I said, my husband and sons are filmmakers. And the woman said, are you a filmmaker? I said, no, I'm an educator. Um, and I said, but I think what we have in common is I had a teacher of peace building who told me the fastest way to change the world is to change the stories that we tell. Right. 
And recently, one of my sons, because uh, I always think of them as my husband's sons, they're all filmmakers. And my son said, dad taught us how to make films, but you told us how to tell stories. And so when I think about what you talked about it connecting the medium, the visual medium with the story we need to tell, the inquiry that's coming up is um, how do you use the tools at your disposal, right? As an educator, you had your tools. We have these social media, we have Instagram, we have Facebook. How do we use them to specifically advocate for teachers and the community? Uh, and, and I'd like to focus on that because we have a few educators here. And I think there is no conversation, there's no conversation more important than this one. There are some that are as important as this one, but, but how do we hold education? How do we educate our young people? And what are the tools at your disposal that can help you specifically support your community and the education system within the community? Is that a clear enough? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. Okay. Uh, very well, then. yes. All right, so in the breakout rooms, we ask that everyone speak with their heart, to listen with their heart, to say just enough so that others have an opportunity to share, and to keep confidentiality. When we come back together, we'll share the themes of what was discussed. You can tell your own personal stories should you choose, but don't share someone else's personal story once the recording is turned back on. So I'm going to pause the recording for now. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Welcome back, everyone. It's good to see your faces. Curious to hear what anybody has to say. What's bubbling up? Liz? Yeah, I mean, we had a very rich conversation. <laughs> and what was bubbling up for me is... I was a middle school teacher for 17 years and I'm in touch with a lot of former students. And one of the ideas, Todd, that I hear them say often is, I don't remember anything you taught me about history, but we knew that you loved us. And one of the words you used was humanizing, right? And I found the thing that has, I have heard from my, my friends who are educators is for me, the primacy of the education experience is the relationship between the the teacher and the students and and that language has disappeared you know it's all about the test scores and trying to take tests so i love your language of humanizing uh humanizing the education system so i i don't i don't know if you had even like a quick thought about uh how we speak about the importance of putting front and center again the relationship between teacher and student yeah thank you for that um what i would say is um it is nearly Every time I talk about we need to reduce the emphasis on uh, standardized test scores and rehumanize education and really focus on social skills, emotional skills, mental health, physical health, everybody across the board from the left to the right agrees with that. My conservative friends on Facebook, my liberal friends on Facebook, all I rarely get any pushback. And so I always ask the question, if this is the one of the few uh, areas where we we have consensus and we agree, why isn't it changing? And so I would just ask all parents and all folks who are, uh, you know, invested in, in their public schools to really start asking the question, why, why are we spending $1.7 billion a year as a country to over test students at the, at the cost of 
their their very human needs of the, the educators and, and the students themselves. What what can we do to change that? What can we do to incorporate into our assessments mental well-being, physical well-being, and ensure that we're really addressing all of the needs of, of the human beings in the building? That would be like, I would just say everybody can advocate for that. And it's a bipartisan issue. I love that. Would anybody else like to share anything that's bubbling up right now? Mm, nothing. I'll, I'll, I'll just chime in, I guess. So if, if the end, we always think, begin, start with the, the ending in, in mind. I don't know who said that first, but if the end goal is to create a peaceful world, a world full of compassionate, loving people who get along and, and work together to solve problems, like if that's our end goal, then we have to reverse engineer and look at what are schools doing to facilitate that, that becoming a reality. And, 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 then, and then look, is, is, is getting kids to score well on a bubble and test on basic skills, is that what's going to lead to that world? Is that ultimately the thing that's going to lead to that? If, if we're prioritizing that and making that the sole purpose of schools, really what we're doing is we're, we're, um, we're, we're meeting the needs of certain politicians and certain people in, in power uh, who have economic power but we're not really meeting the needs of people and we're not getting to that place. So the algorithm, you know, that where, where we, we configure the schools really needs to be re, we need to rethink that, rethink the purpose. What is the purpose of an education? Mm-hmm. And then we can, we can, it doesn't mean we move away from basic skills. Everybody needs to learn how to read and, you know, all the basic skills are, are fundamental and important, but we can do that while also, uh, making sure that we're emphasizing the entire spectrum of what it means to be human and, and what it means to flourish as a human. Thank you for that. Carolyn, were you going to say something? I saw you move as if you were going to go off mute. Just to piggyback on you know, what Liz was asking about and talking about humanizing, um, it, you know, it's about also you know, telling a new story, building relationships so that you can have that new narrative. And I think you alluded to that a little bit, Todd, so that, you know, when we, when we can communicate with one another in a way that allows us to be human, be fully human, fully alive, telling our stories, it it shifts things. And if we can create those relationships and create those communication um, opportunities to tell our stories, we will create new narratives. And who knows what is down the line in those new narratives, because the old narratives, as we see, aren't working. And if we can shift that, life would be so much brighter, I believe. So thank you for the work you do and the stories that you tell. Thank you, Carolyn. With that, I think we're gonna start to bring this call to a close. I put some links in the chat. 
um, Peace On and the Hope Story Circle is brought to you by the Peace Alliance, found at peacealliance.org. Our mission is to educate, advocate, and mobilize people into action to transform systems and public policy toward a culture of peace. And our vision is we cultivate peace building to create a world where everyone and everything thrives. Our podcasts are found at the website, it's Peace On. Our Hope Story Circles, um, there's a link there about the Hope Story Circles. You're welcome to join us. We're currently sharing these circles twice a month. The Blueprint for Peace is an initiative we've had going for a while. It's a terrific thing. You can click on that link and with one stroke, you can let all of your elected officials, local, state, and federal know that you support policies related to violence reduction and peace building. There's also a link to our cornerstone legislation, HR 1111, to create a Department of Peace Building in our government. <clears throat> and we are a small nonprofit. We appreciate donations of any size, especially our monthly donors that give us sustainable income. And our calendar of events is at the, at the website as well, peacealliance.org slash calendar, where you can find the information for their Hope Story Circles and our monthly podcasts and a bunch of other things that we have going on. You're welcome to join us. We'd love to see you back anytime. So with all of that said, Liz, do you want to wrap us up? Yeah. Um, I try not to plan the closing until the very last second to incorporate everything. And what was coming up for me as a closing, when we talk about, I, Terry, hearing you reiterate, right, about advocating for the culture of peace and Todd, the peace you brought in. So many of us, if we were lucky, most of us can remember at least one teacher that made a difference in our lives and the relationship. And so what I would love for us to think of, you know, in the next couple of weeks is remember that teacher, remember what made that so special. Or if you're someone who didn't have that teacher, what would have made a difference in a relationship in a school in your life? And when schools reopen, I, I, I think it's so important to understand we have power at the local level if we can think about organizing people to go to school boards to literally advocate for that thing in the schools, like you said, what I, what I remember from the schools was this teacher, this relationship, this way it is. I want to advocate for my children or if your children aren't even in the school system, you get to say it, as you said, right? The society we want, we want to create depends on what's happening in these classrooms. So I really am thinking about organizing people to go to school boards to advocate for those things that made school meaningful and worthwhile for us. Yeah, that's what came up for me. Mm -hmm. So I want to thank you, Todd, and, and everyone who participated in the call today. So I really look forward to, you know, everyone hearing this as we get up on Peace On. And, and I, especially if you know educators, share it with them. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, everybody. Thank, thank you, everyone. You. Feel free to come off mute and say goodbye. Thank you so much, Todd. Yeah. Thank you so much. It was an honor to be here. Yeah, good stuff. Thank you, Todd. And thank Thank you for joining us today at Peace On. We hope that it inspires you to engage in dialogue in your larger community. Peace On is brought to you by the Peace Alliance, found at peacealliance.org.